This week's episode is brought to you by Fairy Godmother Travel, the official travel agency of Communicore Weekly. With over 15 years of experience, Teresa and her team will help you book the best Disney vacation you've ever had. Whether you want to go to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, on a Disney cruise, or an Adventures by Disney trip, <laughs> and everything in between, Fairy Godmother Travel is the only travel agency we trust to help us make Disney magic. Contact them at Communicore Weekly at FairyGodmotherTravel.com today. Hello and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And man, I'm so tired from our trip south of the border. <laughs> I was like, what trip? The what one trip we took south of the border on? last week. Yes, yes. The one that we're still heavily in the midst of. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, we're back now and we, you know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, you Report know, I'm not going to spoil it till we get into the thing. You know okay, I mean. okay, okay. Yeah. Because I hope the I hope the cadets are just as confused as I am. I'm just as confused as everybody else, probably more so. <laughs> so on that note, let's go to the history. It's time for Disney history. Last week we talked about the beginnings of the South of the Border trip and the folks who went on it. And the trip, trip itself is covered in, like, literally so many books and films that we're going to skip ahead a little bit and look at the films that came out of it. So, as El Grupo started to return to Burbank during the last two weeks of October, they began their next task, shifting through all their visual and story material produced during the trip and deciding just what to do with all of it. So, Norm Ferguson was in charge, and he set up a South American unit in Wing 3A of the animation building. And this was the studio's first attempt to transform propaganda subject matter dictated by an outside source or sources into a film that would still retain the creativity of Disney films. And even though uh, a bulk of the trip was spent in Brazil and Argentina, Disney had to find a way to make 12 shorts around all areas of South America uh, without showing favoritism to any one area. Sort of like us. We yeah. love all of our cadets the same. Yes, except, you know, Animal Kingdom is the best. That's the no, only I said our cadets, not parks. Oh, oh, I was just, I was just making it, sure it was known though that animal. Came oh, okay, okay, we can do that one. We can do that one. So, okay, um, so in this for the Disney Studios was a challenge that would push the story department to their limits at times and really force them to get creative. So a number of story ideas were conceived, and Walt and Norm Ferguson went through every single one of them. Uh, they picked their favorite four as the first to be developed, and either put some on hold for the next grouping, or just outright rejected them. And the result was Saludos Amigos, which roughly translated means the Book of the Dead. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It doesn't mean that. It actually means Hello, Friends. <laughs> so... Much like the 1941 Disney film The Reluctant Dragon, Saludos Amigos was framed by live-action footage of the, animation, uh, the animators on their trip. And while some bits were staged, such as the group getting on the airplane to leave, uh, a lot of the footage was taken during their actual trip to South America. 
Now, we mentioned earlier that Disney was contracted to make 12 short films over the period of two years. And after making these four, Disney decided they were good enough to release them together as a package film. So what we got in the end was the shortest of all the Disney animated features, and I use the term feature lightly only because um, of the film's 42 minute running time, which is less than the length of a feature film. It's usually like 45 or more. Mm. So the film itself consisted of four shorts, Lake Titicaca, Pedro, El Gaucho Goofy, and Acuerlo do Brasil. And Lake Titicaca shows Donald Duck, ever the American tourist, visiting Lake Titicaca, meeting uh, some locals, and getting into shenanigans with a llama. The mm. best shenanigans to get into are know, with a llama. Llama shenanigans. Exactly. So, in a way, this short acted as a, a great introduction to South America. Donald is the stereotypical, clueless American tourist, literally has no idea what to do with himself. He obnoxiously takes a ton of photos... So he sort of sounds like us. Yeah, wait, wait a second. Just visiting parks. Okay, so he takes a ton, takes a ton of photos. He tries to communicate using hand signals, and he generally just makes a mess of his experience. So obviously Donald is a stand-in for any American tourist reacting to the culture shock of visiting another country and kind of just feeling out the place. But because it is Donald doing the actions and just making a fool of himself, and it kind of eliminates any feeling of offensiveness that it would usually create if it was someone else. He <laughs> became the butt of all the gags, and he still left South America looking classy. And this was the first time a Disney character was not seen on their home turf, but rather in a specific Latin American setting. So Pedro centers around a small airplane named Pedro coming from an airport near Santiago, Chile. Uh, with his father incredibly sick, Pedro sets out on his first flight to pick up mail from Mendoza, but he keeps getting into disastrous results. Between troubles with a vulture, uh, nearly dying uh, uh, from a thunderstorm, and over having trouble flying over Aconcagua, Aconcagua, well, the tallest mountain in the western and southern hemispheres, Pedro nearly doesn't make it. Also, just a so small side note, uh, side note, in our Book of the Week segment, that mountain actually makes a cameo in the book I just remember ah, just now. Which that's I, true, he I does. That was interesting. Yes, you're right. Uh, so anyway, in the end, he gets the mail, and he travels back to the airfield safe and sound. And the route that Pedro travels in the short is also the same route that El Grupo took during their trip, so kind of a five-legged goat in there. The single postcard that Pedro worked so hard to deliver is addressed to Jorge Delano, which is the name of the Chilean filmmaker who acted as El Grupo's uh, guide while they were in Chile. El Gaucho Goofy is similar to the popular how-to shorts at the time, mostly because it originally was conceived as a how-to short before it was adapted to fit into uh, a South America, uh, American setting. In it, the uh, American cowboy Goofy is taken to the Argentine Pampas to learn how to be a gaucho. Of course, hilarity ensues for him since he just can't seem to get it right. But aside from that, it's it's pretty par for the course for a Goofy how-to short. Much like Donald in the Lake Titicaca sequence, using Goofy as the clueless American removed all offense to the people of Argentina. So Argentinian people already knew Goofy and of the slapstick situations he found himself in, so seeing him mess up their cultural heritage but not offend it was really received warmly by them. Also, Goofy smokes in the short, which of course is a big no-no today in Disney films. So over the recent years, the short was edited either by looping a scene or digitally uh, to remove the smoking section. However, it's recently been restored and can be seen in the original uncut format on the Walt and El Grupo DVD. 
So the final film, Aquerlo do Brasil, or Watercolor of Brazil, introduces us to Jose Carioca, a certain co-host of Communicore Weekly's favorite Disney character. That's me! Exactly. So this short is very similar in tone to Fantasia, as it's set around music, which directly affects the actions of the piece. An unseen animator's hand guides the action, drawing the settings around Jose and Donald Duck as Jose tries to teach Donald the ways of the samba. Donald, again, playing a terrible tourist, tries to keep up with what Jose is saying by going through Portuguese translation guides until Jose finally relents and speaks in English. Donald, at the behest of Jose, uh, Jose takes a drink of cachaca, an extremely popular and very strong liquor that Brazilians are quite fond of. With flames shooting from his mouth, lighting Jose's cigar, Donald finally lets loose and begins to samba. So, side note, when Keith Gluck and I did a presentation on this trip for a convention one time, this is where I played a clip from the film, and when everybody was looking at that, they were busy, I actually came out dressed as Jose in the film. <laughs> and it was hilarious, and I still sleep in that costume every single night. So, while we're talking about Jose Carioca, let's, let's talk a little bit more about him. So, Norm Ferguson and Ted Sears were developing a series of shorts around a parrot character to represent Brazil. And according to the earliest notes, this parrot would be quite the comic and sometimes start a fight, but leave so someone else would have to finish it. He was always an opportunist, but he was also very romantic and very musical. And the name Jose and Joe were used only as a provisional suggestion early on in the process, but eventually stuck when it was announced in an RKO press release. So he was stuck with the name Jose Carioca. Hmm, that's all right. It was Walt's decision to combine the last section of Saludos Amigos, Jose and Donald together. The task of actually animating him fell to Fred Moore and Bill Titla. Fred decided to introduce him the same way he saw so many other Brazilian men greeting each other, by slapping each other on the back. And so, Jose slaps Donald on the back as a form of greeting, and then completely and accurately imitates him when he learns he is Donald Duck. So, Jose was voiced by the very versatile performer Jose Oliveira. Jose was in America as the guitarist for the Roman Silva Band, and he also appeared on screen in a few films for 20th Century Fox alongside Carmen Miranda. And he was so closely associated with the character that not only did he continue performing him, him for years uh, in The Three Caballeros and in Melody, Melody Time, but he also became known as Z Carioca as his professional name. Like mentioned earlier, the film itself is only 42 minutes long. The first five minutes of the film is live action, then another 10 minutes or so of live action footage is shown throughout the rest of the film. So while it does serve as a great framing and narrative device for the film, it does make a lot of film historians question whether or not it should be included in the Disney animated canon of films. However, the decision to put the four shorts together came pretty uh, simply from a marketing perspective. As individual shorts, they were all well enough on their own. However, the thought was that they would command more attention if it was released as a feature, quote-unquote, uh, at least in South America. And like mentioned earlier, in order to connect all the shorts, live-action footage from the trip itself and stage footage to make it look like it was from the trip was used. And to further help tie it together, the entire film was narrated by Fred Shields. The finished film was sent off to Nelson Rockefeller in Washington. Rockefeller screened it for many guests, including the, right, the wife of Brazilian ambassador, and, and all of them loved it. The film, it seemed, had done exactly what Rockefeller and the CIAA wanted it to do. It had its world premiere in Rio de Janeiro on August, in August 1942, and its U.S. premiere in February of 1943. 
It was a huge success in South America. Audiences loved it, and the premiere itself had to play in five theaters in order to accommodate everyone who wanted to attend. For films that were originally intended solely for North American audiences, the CIAA was glad for the enthusiastic response of the South American subjects. Of course, while this success was fantastic, Disney could not stall. They still had eight other shorts to complete to fulfill their contract, and they continued to work hard on them. However, many of these planned shorts were actually never finished. And what shorts were these? I don't know. <laughs> well, you have to come back next week, unless you're binge listening to this and just go to the next episode. Fair. Uh, you have to come back next week for our final part to find out. He's a nerd, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. So Disney has just released Disney Villains, Delightfully Evil, The Creation, The Inspiration, The Fascination by Jen Darcy. And this is one of those rare books that you can't believe Disney hasn't already published. It is a full-color, large-format book that is sure to make animation fans very happy. Now, don't let the contender for longest title of the year <laughs> fool you. The book is pretty, pretty awesome, I'm not gonna lie. It's basically a look at the creation of every iconic Disney villain to ever grace the screen, be it theatrical or TV screen. And it is jam-packed with goodies and, and kind of a real treat. Yeah, so the book has 11 chapters that focus on uh, different, each one focuses on a different type of Disney villain. Uh, from the unforgettable, to the worst of the worst, to the just plain mean, to the I'm not bad, I'm just drawn that way. Uh, there's an amazing smattering of Disney villains. Of course, everyone's favorites are here, from Peg Leg Pete all the way to Bellwether. There are so many villains. So many. Yeah, it's almost like Disney made a most wanted list and put it in this weird book form. Mm. Um, every villain has their own page, sometimes a little more than a page, where it explains belief, uh, briefly about their origins and what they did in whatever film they were in. And in addition, there are some concept art of each one, maybe some stills from the film. And sometimes, randomly, this is weird, there were photos of the folks who voiced them. Like, I was not expecting a picture of Steve Buscemi to randomly appear on this book <laughs> when I was reading. Almost like it was in his contract. Yeah, kind of weird, kind of weird. Almost. So they, they, did all, they also listed uh, who the animators were which is going to be great for animation fans and researchers. Now, granted, this isn't a book that researchers are going to use. It's really not. This is more for the animation fan or the layperson, whoever just, or who would call themselves a Disney animation fan, basically. Still, it's a very well-designed title that is going to attract a lot of attention from people. It's, it's, uh, it's going to fit that void for people that want to just flip open the book and really sink their teeth into a villain. Yeah, well, it, it's, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Where are we going?" I guess, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, that'll work. Um, yeah. So it's it was cool to see them all broken up into different categories and just learn a little bit more about them. And it was, you know, they had occasional sidebars, I guess, to pad out the book a little more about Easter eggs, like you know, mm -hmm. what Disney villain pops up in other movies. It was like a, a BuzzFeed clickbait article in, in some ways. <laughs> yes, um, it was. <laughs> can you find the secret hidden A one one three connection in all the movies, like that kind of thing? <laughs> Yes, and there were a lot. I, I did enjoy those. Um, but, you know, being the librarian and historian, and I do consider myself a Disney historian even though I haven't read that book yet, um, I really appreciate the index and the bibliography. You can find the entry for your favorite villain and which books or magazines and websites that they use to actually write the book. 
overall, I mean, it's a it's a pretty large book, but it's a quick read, you know, more pictures, mm-hmm. and it's I think it's one we'd recommend to people who enjoy learning more, even on the surface level, about Disney villains. Yeah, I think if you have an interest in animation or the Disney villains, you're really going to enjoy this book. It's called Disney Villains, Delightfully Evil by Jen Darcy. You don't know what you know till we know you. You You just don't know. There's one little fact we bet you didn't. One little fact we bet you didn't know. The very first Mickey Mouse book was published by Bebo and Lang in 1930. It was a soft cover book with cartoon illustrations. The book offers the very first ever recorded history of Mickey Mouse and the first caricatures of Walt Disney. Copies were handed out at cinemas and it was so popular that it went through four printings and over 100,000 copies in the first six months. Very few remain in good condition and copies can fetch up to $6,000. Now we know you. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. Now, yes, I know we all lament the closing of Maelstrom. It was great. We loved it. It's upsetting that it's gone, but thankfully, there are still some traces left of it. You know, some goats scattered around the entire now Arendelle Pavilion at Epcot, which, because, you know, Arendelle's a real country. Um, for example, when you were heading into the Okins, Tokens, and Sauna while in line for Frozen Ever After Boat Ride Spectacular, um, just take a look around, and there's some wood carvings on a shelf. And there's just one wonderful carving of a three-headed troll that if you listen closely, he may tell you to go back, back over the falls. Okay, that last part's not true. It's probably the guy in front of you just telling you to back up a little bit, but... <laughs> The three-headed troll is real. It's there, and it's a nice little tribute to the former attraction that used to be in that same location, and we all miss dearly. Go away, Frozen. Ah, yes, we do. I almost say we need a minute or a moment of silence, but I know that those are deadly yeah. on, on a, a radio show or a podcast. <laughs> you don't want to do that. Oh, the show's so... over. Click. <laughs> Click. Oh, no, we still have a little bit left. Like our year of a million or so limited time cadets weekly prize giveaway. Hooray! It was too sad to come up with a good segue after, you know, Maelstrom. Yeah, I guess so, I guess so. You know, Frozen Never After, so. Okay, but uh, for those of you guys that aren't aware, every week we are giving away a prize to one lucky cadet, and you can still enter. We still have plenty of episodes left. Someone entered today. We're getting, oh, hey, hot dog. Just need to email communicorweekly at gmail.com with your name, address, and birthday because we have to know where to send the prize. Yes, please. That's for sure. But this year's, this week's prize, (laughs) wow. This week's prize is going to Wendy S. from Indianapolis, Indiana, and it is sponsored by Fairy Godmother Travel. Should have mentioned that earlier. You'll get a fantastic Fairy Godmother Travel prize pack. Hooray! So when you get it, Wendy, send us a photo, put it on the Twitters, put it on the Facebooks, on the Instagrams, Periscope it. We just want to see it. We want to see what you got and be jealous. Exactly. We'll be totally jealous. Because <laughs> we'll, we'll Instagram and post we'll, we'll, uh, pictures of us being jealous. Yeah, yeah, I'm down for that. We totally will. Challenge accepted. Okay. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for watching and listening to another episode of Communicore Weekly. However you get the show, leave us a comment or a rating on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think about it. And again, email us at communicoreweekly at gmail.com to enter the contest or just say howdy. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicoreweekly. 
and follow us on all the social medias. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Periscope. I'm at Imaginerding. He's at Jeff Heimbuck. And of course, you can always give us a call on the Communicorically Goat line at 424-785-4628. And make sure to visit the Communa store at CommunicorWeekly.com where you can pick up some amazing t-shirts. And there's still plenty of time to get your official cadet membership card and sticker. Send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Communicore Weekly, P.O. Box 432, Orange, California, 92856. And you can visit patreon.com slash Weekly to see how you two can support the greatest online show. For Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show.